In the name of the crucified and risen Christ. Amen. Please be seated. When someone comes up to you or to me and says, tell me about yourself, we tend to do one or two things. We might offer a pretty straightforward chronology. Well, I was born here, but I grew up there, and then I went there for school, and now I find myself here, and so on and so forth. The other option, of course, is to provide what I like to think of as the highlights reel, where when people ask me about yourself, you tell them kind of the things you really want them to know, sort of the high points along the way. Now, those who are closer in are friends or dear family members. When we're talking with them, we might add in a little bit more about our struggles or our failures. And of course, they may know about them because they may have been with us when some of that happened. But mostly if we're going to be talking about failure or struggles or things we don't feel good about, when we're talking about them, we want them to be pretty far back in the rearview mirror. But the truth is, I believe that all of us, all of us, have parts of our story we would rather others never know, and perhaps parts of our story that we have never shared, whether that's embarrassment, or shame, or guilt, or fear of what others would think, who knows. But I believe there may be parts of our story that we have never shared. Well, the Gospels, of course, are the story of Jesus. They are about Jesus' teaching, Jesus' ministry, and especially about his death and resurrection. Two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke's, even include stories about his birth, where he was born and how that all came about. And those stories were written by the Gospel writers to invite people into faith. They have been doing that successfully for coming up on 2,000 years, and that is a long time to be on the bestseller list. However, in order to write those books about Jesus, that Bible, what is sometimes called the greatest story ever told, other stories are, of course, woven in and included. So when we're reading about Jesus, along the way, we also learn about life in Israel in the first century. We learn a little something about the Roman occupation. We come to discover a few facts about the structure of religious leadership in Jerusalem and worship in the temple. We also, of course, learn something about those who traveled with Jesus, and especially about those who became his most, his most faithful followers, the disciples. At the head of that list is Peter. Yet I expect, had Peter had any say in this, he would have wanted some changes made. He would have wanted some stories held back from publication. He would have voted for the authorized version as opposed to the unauthorized biography. 
I think we would too in his shoes. Consider that the most well-known story about Peter is about him denying Jesus three times after Jesus has been arrested and brought to the high priest. And this, after Jesus said that Peter would deny him, and Peter said, I would never do that. Though everyone else abandoned you, I never shall. Well, there's a beautiful church in Jerusalem that's named for St. Peter, as churches often are. But at this one, instead of a cross up the top, there's a rooster. There's a rooster. The remembrance that Jesus said, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. And Jesus knew what he was talking about. But that story, that awful story, was actually the culmination of a series. Peter, for example, is the first to identify Jesus as the Messiah, but then immediately starts arguing with Jesus about what the Messiah is or should be. And he is so insistent and so inappropriate that Jesus finally says, get behind me, Satan. He was among the disciples who wanted to send the hungry crowd home at the end of the day. That story that turns out to be about the feeding of that great multitude that we heard last week. And there are more. Who among us wouldn't want those kinds of stories removed by a sympathetic editor? I expect even today's story would be on Peter's list of things to cut. Now, it is surely a story about Jesus being the Lord, the ruler of all creation, but it is every bit as much a story about Peter's mixed motives and misunderstanding of what it means to be a disciple. This story does take place right after the feeding of that multitude. The crowds are dismissed, Jesus insists that the disciples head out before him to wherever they're going next, and that means getting into their boat and making their way across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes off to pray. But as the night wears on, we learn that a storm arises on the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake, but it's a big one, and I can assure you from personal experience that storms can come up quickly and fiercely. In the midst of his disciples' terror on that boat, they see someone coming towards them walking on the water. It's Jesus, we're told, but they think it's a ghost. Until Jesus says, it is I, it is I. That's his assertion, actually, that he is not just their friend, Jesus, but that he is the Lord of all creation. If you remember the story of Moses, who we heard about in Romans today, when he encounters that burning bush, and Moses wants to know who it is who's going to send him off to Egypt to free the Hebrew slaves, 
A voice comes from that bush and says, I am. I am who I am. It is the same phrase in Greek that Jesus uses now. Ruler of creation indeed. But then the story switches, and it's not about Jesus, it's about Peter. On the one hand, he wants proof that it's Jesus, and that Jesus is who he says he is, and I think all of us would like a little proof of that some of the time. But secondly, and probably more powerfully, he wants to be like Jesus not in the feeding or the teaching or the healing or the forgiving kind of way, but in the power kind of way. He wants to walk on water too. And Jesus says, okay, come on. And Peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk on water. How cool is that? But then, of course, he feels the wind, he remembers where he is, and maybe he remembers who he is, and he starts to sink and calls out to Jesus to save him, which Jesus does, reaching out his hand to this about-to-be-drowning man. He may chastise Peter for his lack of faith, but he isn't going to let Peter go because of it. This story about Peter, and frankly all the others where Peter comes off as less than noble, remind us that whether we want to tell the whole story about ourselves or not, God already knows it. Jesus has been with us in it, whether we have seen him there, felt him there, cried out for help to him or not. The promise we have is that Jesus is with us always and that there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. The Gospels, which really are primarily about Jesus, reveal to us that there is no place we can go where Jesus will not accompany us, not even to death through death and beyond it. And because the Gospels do tell us about Peter as well as the other disciples, we can also be reassured that there is nothing we can do, no sudden lack of faith that will cause Jesus to withdraw his hand or his love. Peter, whose failings couldn't be clearer or more egregious, did in fact become the rock upon which Jesus built the community of Christians, which would ultimately become the church. He's not the one we would have thought, he's not the one we would have picked, but Jesus knew he would be, and he was. Phillips Brooks is a great 19th century preacher. He was the rector, I think the founding rector, of Trinity Church Copley Square in Boston, 
and later the Bishop of Massachusetts. We actually, over here on the pulpit, we have Philip Brooks carved there, and he's holding Trinity Church Copley Square. I think it's worth noting he's holding up the church. The church is not holding him up. He was a very big deal in his day and preached some remarkable things. But he once said, let God teach you, let God teach you that the only way to get rid of your past is to make a future of it. God will waste nothing. The only way to get rid of your past is to make a future of it. God will waste nothing. And it is, if we think about it, all of Peter's stumbles and failings and faults and his need for forgiveness that could lift him up to be someone who could lead a church that would welcome all comers. This is vital news for us, but it's not just for us personally. It's for us as communities. It's for us as nations. Because both communities that we are a part of and nations in which we dwell love to go with the highlight reel. They love to just give you the dates and tell you some version of what happened. But just like us, communities and nations leave out the parts they're ashamed of. Sometimes they've left them out so long they've forgotten how things actually happen. Right now in this country, we're going through a period where the history of racism is being retold. It's not a different history, but it's a truer, deeper, fuller history. And it's a history that goes back to our very beginnings. Do we tell that so that we can all simply feel awful? No, though some of what we may be discovering, some of what may be news to us, new history for us, may and perhaps should make us feel awful. But that's not why we tell the story. We tell the story so that we can, in fact, as Peter was, be transformed. So that we can, in fact, repent so that we can, in fact, ask for forgiveness, so that we can, in fact, be changed and be made into people and communities and nations far better than we might ever have imagined. The only way to get rid of your past is to make a future of it. God will waste nothing. God wastes nothing. I trust that St. Peter, who had been raised up into glory before the Gospels were ever written, was actually delighted, is actually delighted, that his whole story was told so that others might realize that there truly is nothing 
that can separate us from Jesus' outstretched hand and the gift of love that he proffers. So on this day, and on every day, when we are perhaps among those of little or shaky faith because of where we are in our life or what we have done in our life, because of where we are as a nation or where we have been and what we have done as a nation, let us follow Peter's example and cry out for Jesus' saving grace. If we will truly do that, we will discover that it was and is and always shall be enough and more than enough, for it is the beginning of our transformation into the very image of Christ. In the name of the one God, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.